Welcome back to an Ohio Country Today podcast. And on the phone with us is co-host of our television show in Ohio Country Today, one of our fine sponsors, Alan Davis from Alan Davis Insurance Agency. You know, Alan, we're here today to talk about some of the fears, some of the concerns, and some of the conversation that's been going on about our food supply chain. Let's start first off. If there's a surplus at the farm, why is there a shortage in the grocery store? Well, Dan, you know, uh, it, it simply boils down to the fact that once it's produced at the farm gate, it has to be processed to be sold to the consumer. And, and, and so those supply chains have been disrupted. Um, you know, let's just talk about the, the dairy, for example. And, and I'm sure people have read in the, in the news about, you know, milk having to be dumped. Um, approximately 54% of the dairy products uh, prior to this epidemic were consumed on the wholesale and institutional side. So, um, you know, so that means 46%, only 46% of the fluid milk or that was going towards the retail, which would be, you know, your, your fluid milk in gallon jugs, um, you know, yogurt in small cups, butter in one pound carts, you know, ice cream and, you know, one quart containers because, you know, the, the institutional size, you know, they, they don't, they buy their milk in five gallon bags and, you know, they use butter in larger tubs and things like that. So it's all packaged differently. And because the fluid milk consumption had been going down over the years, the bottling plants for retail have diminished. So, so you, 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 you've created this problem. We have this problem right now with where the end use of the product is. So it's, you know, it's not, we really don't have a shortage. We just can't get get it from the farm gate uh, efficiently to the consumer. Why would farmers throw away food, Al? Well, you know, we well, at the farm gate, for example, you know, you're going to produce dairy, for example. Uh, but while it's, it's a very good product when it comes, you know, uh, fresh off the farm, as you would say, it still has to be pasteurized and and you know, so that a consumer can use it and it will, it'll, it will store. Um, uh, you know, I grew up as a kid, you know, we, we drank the milk right out of the dairy, right out of the bulk tank. Um, and you know, it, it was fine. It, you know, we had controls and we knew what was, what the product was going in, but it didn't keep, you know, you didn't have a long shelf life. You know, you, we had to drink that milk in a very short order, uh, you know, because it, it just doesn't, uh, store well if it's not pasteurized so you know that's that's why we have to do that because there's no place to put it we can't fluid milk in a raw form can't be stored for for days on end it has to be processed and typically it's processed and out to the consumer within 48 hours so it's uh, uh, you know it's a very it's simply an on-time delivery system that we have in our food supply source uh, much like manufacturing has today on-time delivery you know, Alan, uh, there has been a lot of talk. In fact, recently, uh, there's been stories regarding meatpacking plants shutting down. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, you know, meatpacking plants are shutting down simply because, you know, the, 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 of the issue with uh, not that there's not a demand and not that we don't have the meat, the, the, the animals to bring to the packing plant. It's a matter of the plants having to shut down because they've had illnesses or, you know, with the COVID-19 uh, uh, folks that don't want to necessarily be exposed or they feel like they've been exposed and, 
you know, the, the, the sickness in, in the workforce. Um, it's, it's caused a real issue, um, you know, getting there again, getting a live animal processed and to the end user. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, quite, quite amazing, um, that, uh, there again, our, our food supply has become a just in time type thing. You know, as an example, uh, there, there are 60,000 pork producers in the United States, but roughly 60% of all the hogs are processed in just 15 large packing plants. Oh, uh, wow. Because of efficiency and, you know, and all those kind of things, it's, it's, a, it's you know, the, the, the efficiency of these large plants and is, is much better than if you have smaller plants that maybe just does 10 or 20 hogs is, you know, at a time. Is Smithfield so, the, one of the largest or the largest when it comes to uh, processing uh, hogs? Yeah, Smithfield, uh, Tyson, uh, yeah, they are uh, they're one of the largest. Uh, they're some of the largest uh, processors of pork product uh, in, the, uh, in the United States. So, um, so that has a huge impact. Uh, of course, the one in, in, the, in, the, in the news has been the one in, in South Sioux City, um, you know, that that's like that plant alone processes about five percent of the pork in the United States. So you know that's uh, that's quite a quite a thing. So you know, what are what are the impacts of those of those packing plants shutting down for farmers and consumers then? Well, so for farmers, here's here's the thing. Um, uh, right now, meat packing plant closures, you know, they're creating they're creating chaos, and around a hundred thousand hogs per day. Um, are not being sent to slaughter, uh, are going to have to be held back on the farm because of plants like Smithfield's large uh, processing plant. Uh, and, and there were three in Indiana this past week uh, that, that closed as well. Um, and so 100,000 pigs a day will not be sent. They'll be held on the farm. And so, you know, that compounds fairly quickly. you got 100,000 pigs today. you got another 100,000 tomorrow. you got another 100,000 the next day. And pretty soon, you know, you have a half a million hogs that really should be slaughtered. There's no place to go with them. Um, and, you know, the, the farmer, he has to either put them on a diet, for lack of a better term, or, or they're going to get too big and they're going to get too cramped. And, you know, you, you, it's not, that's not good on their welfare either. So, uh, you know, that, that has huge implications for the farmer and, of course, obviously for the end consumer. If that hog doesn't get processed, and cut into primal pork that you can use to make pork chops or whatever it might be, you know, the consumer's going to feel it on the other end not being available. So uh, that, that's uh, where we're at uh, with, with, the, with the Donald we got going on right now. On the phone with us right now is Alan Davis, our co-host on our television show In Ohio Country Today, and one of our fine sponsors from Alan Davis Insurance Agency. We're talking about food supply chain and some of the concerns with our food supply. Alan, are we running out of food? No, we're not going to run are we out gonna, of food. Are we going you to know, run out of food if the packers aren't packing and doing what they need to do? Well, yeah, so if the packers can't, we're going to run out of fresh protein. We're going to run out of protein, um, you know, because uh, wild pork, for example, you go back to that, and beef is also, you know, there, that that is also put in storage, so there you know there were there's a lot of um, uh, beef and pork that's in frozen storage, um, but you know that that takes a long time to fill that supply up. Uh, you know we talk about cattle. Here's here's another example. 
Uh, beef production for the week ending April 25th was uh, 24.5% lower than the, than the same uh, week a year ago. Um, you know, and that's not, not that the, not the cattle aren't ready on the farm. It's just that we, we got 25% less beef coming out the other end for, pro, for available for retail. Um, uh, pork production was fifth, off 15% and chicken down eight, 8.2%. So, you know, right at this moment, we're not going to run out of, we're not going to run out of, um, uh, protein, uh, this week. We're not going to run out of protein next week, but you know, if, if we don't get, keep the supply chains full, um, you know, we're, we're going to see parts of the country where it's going to be um, uh, a limited amount of volume of, of proteins available. Uh, now we're not going to run out of food because you know, corn, wheat, soybeans, rice, you know, those are all harvested and stored, you know, those were harvested and stored a month ago. So things like that can be stored uh, in uh, grain bins, things like that. So so we're not going to run off food. Uh, it, it's just that the fresh meat, uh, dairy, things like that, you know, uh, are, are what, what is uh, an on-time processing type of thing. You know, Alan, uh, living in Wapakoneta, I'm very fortunate to have some really great resources when it comes to getting locally raised beef, pork, turkey, chicken, whether it's Cook's um, Turkey Farm in St. Mary's, New Knoxville area, Pushita Creek uh, Farms, Pushita Creek Farms, and, and even yourself, you know, occasionally I'll buy some beef from you that is raised locally, that's processed locally, and gets put away right away <laughs> into my freezer on a regular basis not everybody has that that option available to them there's no question about it so how much of the food that we consume comes from abroad you know how much a lot of the concern is that if we're not able to process what we need to domestically are we going to even see more food come from abroad so how much are we getting from overseas and how much can we expect to see in the future if we're not processing it ourselves? Well, you know, overall, only about 11% of the food we eat comes from, uh, in the United States comes from abroad. Um, and that, that's really, uh, it varies a lot depending on what the product is. Uh, you know, so here, example, coffee, all the coffee, virtually all of it, cocoa, and, and most of your spices that you consume come from abroad. Uh, most of the fish and shellfish that we consume is also uh, imported. Um, and about half your fruits, you know, and mostly bananas and grapes are imported. So, so you know, relatively speaking, our, um, you know, food supply, while we do get some from overseas and it is imported, uh, well, maybe not even overseas, it could be Mexico, it could be, you know, uh, Canada for, our, for some of our fish, um, you know, it's, it's what we typically consume from our beef, pork, uh, and staple really doesn't really come uh, from overseas. It's primarily, uh, we, are, we are actually a net exporter of a lot of those products. So we're seeing a lot of carryover of livestock and some dairy, but we've seen stories where our dairy farmers are having to 
take care of their dairy by spreading it out on their on their land or just getting rid of it in one way, shape, or form because it, it can't go to market. And we're starting to see, as you mentioned, kind of a, a backlog with some of these farmers, livestock producers, that um, that can't really get their livestock to market. So there may be some questions as to what to do with them. You know, why euthanize these animals instead of just keeping them on the farm? Well, you know, believe me, as a farmer and a producer and a, a livestock person all my life, there's nothing that pains me would pain me more than than seeing the fruits of my labor that I've taken care of and made sure it was a good product to go out the door, uh, you know, to go to the consumer that I would have to euthanize it because, you know, we didn't have any place to sell it. Um, but yeah, that would be like that would token, be like destroying the grain in your bins that you've been you've been holding after harvest. I mean, why, why would they do that? Well, why would you do that? Believe me, it's not their choice. It's not their choice at all. It would not be a farmer's choice. That'd be the last thing you'd want to do. But at a certain point, uh, these, these, these animals, hogs, particularly, uh, they get to a certain size and then they get, you have overcrowding. Um, you know, that they, uh, they really don't, uh, if you don't have any place to put them, uh, once they get too crowded, it's just not humane for them, for their area. You know, for them, it's, it's not in the animal's best welfare to, uh, they become aggressive, some of them. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they really uh, become hard to handle. And so you might have to uh, euthanize some of them, if nothing else, to send, send some of them out so you had room to keep the other ones because they keep growing. So what, hap- um, what happens or, with the input costs that you've already, you, you've already invested into that livestock then? Is there any chance well, of recovering those costs if you have to euthanize your livestock? No. There's no, you're not going to recover the cost of that feed and all that that went into that hog, you know, or that livestock. You're going to, uh, you know, you're, nope, you're, you're not going to. You euthanize it, and then you're going to compost it. Uh, the only thing you've got to get back is once it's composted, you get a little fertilizer. But that's not, not going to make up for the cost of what it costs to feed that. So, so we're also going to see probably, um, uh, you know, because there, again, the way our livestock industry works, you know, you've got, young animals coming up to take the place of the animals that are supposed to go out, you know, to be processed. And so you might see um, the small animals being euthanized simply because you don't have the money in, in feeding them. You know, you can euthanize the little ones, keep the bigger ones for a period of time. Um, you know, if that, if that, if you have room to do it and can, and can make that work. Um, but there again, a hog, if he gets too big, as an example, he can go, he can go from being worth, you know, $140 or whatever the market value of the pig is to $40 because he's 20 pounds overweight. Uh, because hogs, once they get a certain weight, they're, they, they, they really diminish in value. Um, the cuts are too large. Uh, they, they won't work in automated machinery. You know, it's just uh, the consumer does not want to buy a pork chop that looks like a T-bone steak that you lay on the plate. So, you know, you, you have to... You know, it, it does have an effect on that. Uh, so there's a lot of things that the farmer will not recover uh, if if we don't keep these animals and we don't keep the food supply chain operating. And so I think that's really uh, when it boils down to it. Uh, that's why the president signed uh, the the uh, the act uh, yesterday or this morning. Uh, you know, the uh, invoked the uh, uh, 
uh, Defense Production Act, um, you know, to, to keep the, the meat plants open, um, which um, helps the alleviate um, the liability from the, the packer operators, the, the plant operators, um, as it relates to um, uh, people contracting any illnesses and stuff in there because they kept them open. So, you know, it, it's important enough that the, that the president of the United States recognizes that we have to keep our, our food supply moving. And uh, so I think it's just important that everybody understand understands that what's happening is not the farmer's choice by far at all. And, uh, and quite frankly, it's not the Packers choice. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we have a, uh, it's, it's a pretty integrated system. You know, when we look at our, our food supply chain here in the United States, one of the things we could be proud of is the safety of our food and the quality of our food. Do you see any of that being threatened during this time frame? You know, I, you know, I don't, I don't see that, you know, our, our quality being threatened at any time because, you know, um, uh, the, the USDA, they do a very good job making sure that the product that is, is, is given to the consumer is sold to the consumer or furnished for the consumer is, um, definitely, um, um, of, of top quality. So, you know, I, I don't see a, a danger of our, our food quality going down. It's just a matter of being able to, to, uh, to get it processed. And, and because we are concerned about the quality, you know, that's, that's why you can't, uh, 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 n- not inspect that animal when it's taken to slaughter. You know, you want to make sure that, that, uh, you know, they look at each one, uh, when they're slaughtered and, and, and processed. So, um, you know, I think we have one of the safest food supplies in the world, and uh, uh, I'm, they're going to continue to do that. I, we just have a, a slight bottleneck right now, um, and it's grabbing the headlines. And, and I think there's a lot of misinformation as to why it's happening, uh, and uh, it's it's really it's really not the farmer's choice, uh, and it's really not the the, the uh, packer's choice. Uh, some things happen uh, that that kind of run out of out of their control. So eventually, how do you see this playing out here over the next couple of weeks with the declaration by the president to try to keep these operations fluid and going uh, consistently? Do you see that any of this disruption continuing or as we wait to reopen all of our businesses due to the COVID-19 crisis, is, is that the the point at which we can feel better about these scenarios that we discussed. Yeah, I, I think, I think that what we're experiencing um, right now is, is, is definitely a temporary thing with the president signing that uh, it most certainly alleviates a lot of the liability from the operators of the packing plants as it relates to the employees. Um, and, um, you know, our, their, their hope is, 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 you know, they didn't close these plants permanently. They just said, Hey, we're going to have to close this plant 10 days or two weeks, but it's going to take a little bit of time to get this backlog, um, uh, worked out. And it's going to take a little bit of time for it to get caught up on the end for the end consumer, uh, particularly in the meat industry, um, the dairy industry. I, you know, I don't believe that you're going to see some companies 
opening bottling plants up that they shuttered because of the da- of the demand being down, you know, for years and years. I, I think the issue with the dairy is, um, you know, the fresh fluid milk and some of that stuff. Uh, it's just going to have to work its way through, and I, and I don't see that uh, changing uh, too much. Uh, we just hope that uh, um, we can all get back to work and uh, the uh, the restaurants and the institutional can get back up and running and start using this product again. Alan, how is this all going to affect prices at the grocery store? And what well, do you, what so, do you, see, what do we see now? So, so here's, here's, there's two places, there's two places where these prices are affected. Okay. So for the consumer, obviously when the supply is low, the price goes up. I mean, um, I don't know, you know, how long we're going to see it, but we're going to see definitely price increases. And we have seen price increases on the retail side um, for for uh, fresh meat products. Uh, it's just the way it is because you know there, there's not as much fresh supply coming in. Um, the other place that the, the price is dramatically affected is to the farmer when he can't just get rid of it. You know. His, the price he receives is lower than his cost of production, um, way lower. The price has dramatically dropped uh, on on the cattle and hogs, um, chickens, eggs, dairy. Um, you know, uh, a, a dairy uh, prices dropped 35% uh, what the farmer is receiving because prior to this COVID-19, the dairy farmer was receiving $18 for hundred pounds of milk that he produced right now it's about $12 per hundred pounds of milk he's producing because there's so much on, you know, there's just no place it's bottled up. And, uh, you know, so it's affecting both affecting the, the producers, the farmers, you gotta, you gotta stay in business. You gotta be viable to produce the product and it's affecting consumers, uh, from the standpoint of, of higher retail costs. Uh, simply because there's not as much supply coming out of the other end. We look at uh, various uh, factors that play into the uh, price points, if you will, from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And we look at the new agreement between the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And especially with Canada, the, the price of dairy was supposed to improve a little bit. And with regards to Mexico... Uh, there were a lot of positive things with regards to our hog production. Of course, China buys a lot of hogs from the United States. So we were battling with the trade agreements and with tariffs before we even got into this. But if we look at a 52-week range for lean hogs, for example, as high as 84 and as low as 41. Live cattle over the 52-week period was as high as 127, as low as 76. And feeder cattle as high as 147 and as low as 103. Now, most of those have been bouncing off their 52-week lows over the last couple of weeks. Before we let you go, let's talk about some of our commodities. We can also talk about our corn, soybeans, and wheat. And moving forward, how do you see us moving forward with these prices and and what's some of the long-range forecasting that you see coming down the road? Well, you know, it, it obviously none of us have seen anything like this before. And 
so it's really um, going to be hard to to uh, you know make a, a firm prediction about what we think is going to happen. Um, the general consensus is once we get back open and you know get restaurants back operating and get you know things somewhat back to normal, then we're going to see you know uh, the the consumption of you know the dairy go up. You know, on the wholesale side, uh, we'll see, um, you know, um, keep the meat plants open. You know, we'll see that these prices are going to probably come back up and rebound, but it's not going to be nearly as fast as they went down. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, these, these, uh, the markets have been bouncing off these lows um, just in the last couple of three weeks, and they just seem to be stuck. Um, corn, for example, uh, you know, we've lost a dollar a bushel on that in a very short period of time. Well, at uh, least a buck and a half demand. difference in the last 52 weeks. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, because our demand, um, um, for a lot of reasons, uh, uh, ethanol being another one, you know, that's another whole thing when you talk about energy usage and nobody driving and, and those kind of things. So, um, you know, we've got to get things moving back again to see these prices come back up. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's, it's until that does, but, it, but it's going to be a while, uh, at least from the standpoint of what the, per, what the farmer and the producer is going to receive for his product. Um, so before know. we before we let you go, I guess an, another question I want to ask you, since it is planting season um, and you are a grain as well as livestock producer, what have your input costs been like on average and some of the farmers that you talk to and you work with what have the input costs and discussion of what it's costing our farmers to produce these products and the meat and livestock? Well, so, so our, <laughs> you know, the, 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 you know, the actual input costs uh, to produce the products really haven't went down that much. Um, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're a livestock producer, of course, Somebody can argue and say, well, your corn prices went way down. Of course it has, yes. The, the cost of the corn to feed the livestock went way down. The cost of the protein has, has come down because the price of soybeans has come down. So, yes, that, that probably has, has diminished some. But not to the proportion uh, that, that, the, that the loss of the value of the finished animal has. Uh, that's kind of a sad thing that that's, that that's the way it is. Most definitely the cost to put out um, an acre of corn, for example, you know, um, the seed cost, uh, that, that hasn't come down. As a matter of fact, most of that's already been purchased and paid for a lot, a lot of that. So, so that you've already incurred that cost. Um, but fertilizer, um, nitrogen fertilizer, for example, really hasn't come down that much. Um, um, while petroleum has dropped. So the fuels, the cost of fuel to run, that's going to be less. Um, in the grand scheme of things, um, uh, land costs haven't really went down. They're not going to go down. And, uh, um, and, and so, uh, the producer, um, when it comes to producing a bushel of corn or an acre of corn, you're, you're still got some of those, those, uh, incurred input costs, um, that, that you were budgeting based upon what you thought was going to be prior to COVID-19. So, you know, this is really throwing everybody for a loop. Uh, it's going to affect affect everybody, but the, the cost of production has not dropped like the end 
sale value of that product has. Wow, this has been a great discussion. I can't believe we're already <laughs> almost 30 minutes into this conversation, but we'll kind of wrap it up here. Alan Davis from Alan Davis Insurance Agency has been our guest. We've been discussing the road from the farm to the table, your food supply chain and everything in between. Alan Davis, of course, business owner, active farmer. He's a grain farmer, livestock producer, and owns Alan Davis Insurance Agency, better known as your solutions provider. And, of course, Alan, if people want more information about total farm protection and the things that you can help them with, a simple phone call is all they need to do. That's right. You can, you can give us a call at our office, 419-738-7447, or check us out on the web at allendavisinsurance.com. Alan, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Dan. Have a great day. And you've been listening to the In Ohio Country Today podcast. For more information, as always, you can go to our website at inohiocountry.com.